welcome to episode five of the St. George's podcast. I'm David Edgerton. I'm the rector and lead pastor here at St. George Maple Ridge. And my name is Roxanne Brundle, and I'm the associate pastor at St. George. We're in conversation with the Reverend Dr. Kyle Norman, and we'll be speaking about spiritual formation. We're podcasting, so you can't see this, but Kyle has undoubtedly um, the best background of all of us sitting in front of a stained glass window. Who are the saints depicted there? St. George, and this is St. Michael. I don't know why I'm pointing, you can't see. Wow, I don't think we have a picture of St. George's at our St. George, so I have double envy now. Probably there's a commandment about that, isn't there? So Kyle, tell me just a little bit about who you are and how you came to be a priest. Yeah, so I am a priest here in Calgary. I'm married to a lovely woman named Alicia, and I have a 13-year-old son, almost 14. I'm a PK. One of my earliest memories is sitting in the front pew of our of our parish church. I grew up in a little place on, on Vancouver Island in Sydney. Never had a moment where I didn't know God in my life. I was born with a very rare heart condition um, and had open heart surgery when I was six months old. And so always knew from the earliest moments, even if I wasn't able to articulate it, that the language of Jesus saved me was a physical reality that I lived not just a theological reality. When I was in grade six, my father got his call to ministry and we moved to Saskatoon for a little while. And so I got to see the process of him kind of going through that transformation. And then when I was in grade 10, I had a dream of me being ordained. And that just set me on that on that path. And I've been ordained for 17 years now. And that's just been a, a wonderful journey. Today we're going to be talking about spiritual formation and Kyle, you have been studying spiritual formation for the last number of years. Tell us about that. It really kind of emerged from my own desire to go deeper in my faith. So probably close to 10 years ago, I remember realizing that nobody had ever taught me how to pray. Like I had gone through youth group, I had been a youth worker, I'd gone through seminary, and nobody had kind of ever taught me kind of the ins and outs of having a prayerful life. Um, They just kind of assumed that I would figure it out along the way. And in some sense, I did, but in some sense, I didn't. Uh, And there was a lot of questions that I had. And so I started reading a lot of kind of the ancient fathers and mothers and Christian history and um, realizing that, you know, all the questions that I've had, people had figured out the answers or a way to address it back in like the year 900. (laughs) And so there's a wealth of stuff. And so that just kind of led me on a path of learning a lot from kind of, yeah, like the ancient fathers and mothers. And as I grew in my faith, we put on kind of a book study here about prayer, about connecting with God and the different ways that we got to do that. And then it just really just ended up defining my ministry here and led me into a doctoral program, which was just a wonderful thing. Like I had already been reading this stuff. I had already been trying to live it out as much as I could that this then just gave me a focused way to do that. So how would you explain what spiritual formation actually is? 
Spiritual formation is the intentional process by which we try to live like Jesus and try to live out our faith in an intentional way. It's all well and good to recognize that the Bible calls us to pray. But if we're not actually praying, then just knowing that verse isn't going to help us. We need to live prayerful lives. You know, so the Beatitudes and, you know, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about turning the other cheek and, and anger and, um, and not worrying and lust and all this kind of stuff that he talks about all through uh, the Gospels. How do we actually live that in our life? And so spiritual formation is the intentional process by which we grow in faith and try to live like Jesus in this world. So would some people call that discipleship or learn, learning how to be a disciple? Absolutely. People use all sorts of different terms. People use the language of discipleship. People use the language of Christ-likeness. So Paul talks about, I am in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I like the language of a baptized life. I think this is about living out our baptism. And um, if we actually recognize the profound reality of who we are as baptized people, immersed in a Trinitarian reality, immersed in the reality of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all around us and within us, um, that will change how we live. So Kyle, you are no stranger to having a camera in front of you. I know you've been filming your sermons for, for years, um, but you've started doing some spiritual practice videos for your congregation. Tell us a little bit about what they've been like and what the response has been. Yeah, so when, I don't even know what we refer to it as. Do we call it the great shutdown or like what, you know, when the pandemic hit and when, and you know, we didn't have any, any services. The question obviously was, how will we encourage people to live out their faith in an ongoing and a sustained way? And so I decided that we were going to do a weekly video on a spiritual practice and kind of a way, let's give people tools. So if people aren't, as Roxanne, you're saying, if you weren't, if you weren't aware of kind of the spiritual formation or the literature or even the language of what the heck is a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice, but all of a sudden kind of that primary lifeblood of faith, which is the church community is now all of a sudden not there. How does somebody go about living out their faith? in this in this weird time that we're in and so it started with me doing a video of okay here's how you do morning prayer and like and super practical right and so i had my bas and said you know so here is where you put the sticky note <laughs> so that you don't lose your page and then you turn to this page um and then it just kind of moved on so the next week was our cura did one it was an evening prayer and then we did one about uh Alexio divina and um our cura has done one on the discipline of of play like how how do we ensure that we're still trying to have fun during this time and how that we could understand that as a way that we can actually recognize the joy of the lord in our lives and so it's been incredibly well received. I received emails from, from people who have said that they have passed it on to friends and, and family, um, that they're learning so much about faith through particularly those videos. It's been a really, I think, life-giving thing for the parish, but I think it's also been a fun thing for me to do. Have you found that there are people from outside your church that maybe would never go to church that are kind of listening in to some of these practices and even giving you some feedback on that? 
There has been some. It's been an interesting dynamic just because of comments that we get from somebody who we don't know anything about, who might who might even just say, you know, hey, this is just wonderful. Thank you so much. And hopefully it's helped people from the congregation see sharing their involvement in the faith doesn't have to be scary. It can be as easy as, hey, our pastor has put up this new video. I got a lot of value out of it. I thought of you. Give it a shot. You know, it can be that easy. That's one of the things we've found too, is it's a lot easier to um, share a post. So even we do morning prayer um, every, you know, Monday to Saturday at nine o'clock. It's pretty easy for someone to share that or to have other people join in on that. And, you know, it's innocuous, it's easy. Um, they can put it on their Facebook page. So it is interesting for us even to see where some of the people are who listen to say our podcast or listen to morning prayer or something like that. The other thing that I've noticed, and I wondered if you have, is by it being available anytime, um, people are more apt to, to get it when it's available as opposed to, you know, it has to be nine o'clock Monday morning. If you don't get there, you miss it. It just gives us a little more flexibility to reach people. Absolutely. Yeah, and we found that too. And that's one of the reasons also why we decided that we didn't want to be hampered by, by live streaming. And I know that other churches, and I think you guys live stream as well, and nothing against people that have chosen to do live stream. Our church isn't necessarily set up for that capacity anyway, in just the way that we were kind of situating ourselves. But we also wanted to make a conscious effort of let's have, let's have it as available as possible with no restrictions. And so we've tried to say, you know, by 1030 on Sunday, it should be up on YouTube, but that allows someone to not feel like they have to attend some, some something live that they could attend anytime that they wanted. We were doing the same thing. And it's only in the past couple of weeks that we've started producing the service live with a live stream on Sunday, and then people can still catch up later on. And so Kyle, have you found that your services or your Bible studies are reaching a wider audience? We do a Zoom Bible study and I had advertised, and I think it was just on Facebook, on our Facebook page, just say hey, we're doing, we're gonna do a Zoom Bible study. Um, and then, um, so we have probably about a third of people who attend that Zoom Bible study are now not part of our parish. They're from other parishes who have some, maybe some loose connections. Some don't have any connection to the parish, um, but just happened to see that and said, hey, I want to be a part of that. And so now this kind of this new, very kind of cool, interactive, almost fluid environment has has created. And it's been fun to... Uh, fun to be a part of. You're still recording your preaching? I am, yes. What's been your experience of preaching to a camera instead of a congregation? So like I've always been doing my sermons and putting my sermons up on, on the parish YouTube page, kind of unbeknownst to the parish in some sense. I'm very low tech. And so I sit with my laptop and I just press record. <laughs> then I, So you just see a really enlarged head on the screen. Like that's it, right? So there's no, there's nothing fancy. But in some sense that has really helped me and prepared me for the great shutdown so that I'm able when I'm looking at the screen and I'm, I'm conducting the liturgy and I'm preaching 
I'm kind of used to preaching in the way and conducting the service in a way that I want it to be received. And so the screen doesn't provide a barrier for me because I've done it often. But I do remember when I first began, it was very stiff. And I recognize when I talk to some of my colleagues, they've just been thrust into this. It's a very kind of stiff medium because so much of what we do is nonverbal and we feed off the energy of the people that um, we are talking to. And so when you don't have that, it can feel artificial. So I, I know your latest venture is a, a new YouTube channel, which we'll link in the show notes for the podcast. Um, can you tell us about what prompted you to start that and, and what kind of videos have you got on there? So what prompted me was a little bit out of these practice videos that I've done for the church. Yes, everybody was saying, oh, thank you for your service. And, you know, I do a little video every week for the kids and you know, oh, that's so great. Thank you, Kyle, for that. And But when people reached out about the practice videos, there seemed to be engaging in such an, a very interesting way and a little bit more in a deep way. And so I wanted to explore that a little bit. But also through my journey through spiritual formation and in my learnings, also recognizing that when I would go to YouTube, there's not a whole lot of places where you can go and learn about spiritual practices from a channel. There's a few exceptions like Renovare and stuff like that. Largely what you're doing is you're going, you're seeing videos from other communities or other pastors who wouldn't necessarily have the take on a spiritual practice that I found helpful. So as an example, I was telling my wife about this, that I was, I did a video, a practice on the discipline of retreat. What does it mean to engage in a spiritual retreat when you can't leave the house? So what are the ins and outs of that? And so I wanted to do a video about that. And so I found a video online where somebody was talking about the spiritual discipline of the retreat. One of the things that he said was, we're talking about like a real retreat. We're not talking about like a women's retreat where all they do is just sit and do their hair and nails all day. A, it was completely offensive. Um, but how is that good teaching on the spiritual practice of, of retreat to talk about that? And so I wanted to create a channel that hopefully was one that people could go to where there would be kind of a solid teaching and an ongoing teaching about spiritual formation and about spiritual practices. Now, I have no aspirations of being YouTube famous or Insta famous or whatever that's called. You know, like it's, this is an outlet for me and whoever finds it, finds it. And that's, that's lovely. I wonder sometimes whether as Anglicans, there's been a big gap in our formation through the decades, if not centuries. And so there's, there's some things that people just don't know. Uh, there, are, there are questions that they've never really answered. And I've often found when I ask someone, why do you do this or the other? They'll say, well, that's because that's what I was told to do or because that's what we've always done. Um, so I'm really interested in seeing how coming at spiritual formation from an Anglican perspective, you know, we might be able to equip people with that. Everybody has a spiritual formation. It's not an issue of not having a spiritual formation. Everybody is formed in a particular way. And because we are spiritual people, we are formed in a particular spiritual way. And not everybody has had good formation. Um, even within the church, I can't tell you how how many people I have come across who have said, you know, we were always told 
we should not be praying for ourselves, that it is selfish to pray for ourselves. And how disastrous is that? Or um, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they were talking about how they grew up under the constant expression, whenever they did something wrong, their aunt or their grandmother, whoever what it was, would say, God will get you for that. That forms somebody. You begin to have a, a picture of God as someone who will get you, right? And so how we form people, I think, is an incredibly important thing that pastors and priests and teachers need to think critically about. The good thing about Anglicanism is that within our history, and even in some sense within our liturgy, there are a lot of resources available to us that we can make use of within the context of our own tradition that make a lot of sense to us Anglicans to, to engage in this process. I think of my grandmother who was Czechoslovakian and was raised thinking that she could never pray in Czech, that she could never pray in Czech because um, raised in a church, English or Latin. Really? The realization was that she felt that she could never, ever really express who she was. And for me to be able to say to her, you can pray in Czech. And she goes, I can. And just the realization that we, you're right. I mean, people misunderstand. People don't understand how open God is to hearing their heart, hearing where they're at, you know, being able to tell somebody, you can scream at God, he's big enough. Absolutely. And that's a huge thing. People don't, you know, and again, they, you know, Somehow we have, I think, created the message, and I don't know where we've adopted this, but the idea that, you know, true spirituality is, is adopting this kind of thin smile, gritting our teeth and singing, shine Jesus shine, no matter what's going on in our lives. Um, and I tell people, read the Psalms. And there's a reason, there's an important reason why the Psalms are in the canon mm -hmm. and why we read the Psalms because it gives voice to every single human emotion that we could possibly have, even the messy one. And we are allowed to, as you said, we're allowed to scream together, not curse God. The Bible is always very, very clear. We don't curse God. No. Yet we can scream out our frustration. We can scream out our questions. We can do all of that. We can disclose the messiness of our lives because God has shown God's self to be the one who incarnates God's self into the mess. Just as you're speaking about Psalms, have you got any particular ones that you would recommend people if they maybe they're hearing this kind of thing for the first time and is there a psalm or two that you'd point them to, maybe if they're feeling frustration or maybe in this great shutdown of COVID-19, loneliness, um, isolation, what, what kind of psalms would you point them to? Well, one of the ones that I remember reflecting on a while ago, and I'm so, you know, and I don't mean this to sound trite, but Psalm 23, which, oh, yeah, you know, but... It occurred to me, you know, the way that the psalm is written, um, you know, obviously the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, he makes me lie down, he leads me aside. And then it says, he leads me in right pathways for his name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and it occurred to me, 
And I had never realized that the right pathways lead straight into the valley of the shadow of death. Um, and I remember just sitting with, you know, how profound it is that in some sense, it starts with these, this idyllic blissful picture, green pastures and still waters, but then God leads you kind of away from that and into this place of dark shadows and being surrounded by enemies. And yet we can emerge from that confident that we do not fear because he is with us. And so I've kind of pointed a lot of people to that because I think that Psalm 23 is a lot more profound than sometimes we give it credit. It's, it's not just about Christian death, it's actually about Christian life. And I think in a very, very deep way. I'm gonna ask a question. How do you guys at St. George's intentionally attempt to call people to a process of formation? Well, one of the things that we do do is we offer an opportunity for them to have morning prayer. Perfect. The Anglican morning prayer is so rich from beginning to end. There's always a song. There's always a reminder that God is with you. There's always a reminder that we can pray to him for peace, that we can pray to him for, for help. There's a realization that we are not alone. Yeah. There's a realization that everything is new every morning. We've actually found more people doing that now because they can do it from their own homes, from their cabins, from their cars, from their coffee break places, that they can just sit back, have breakfast, have a cup of coffee, sit in the car and wait, and just spend some time doing that. Part of my doctorate, I had to do a research project. And so I did it on morning prayer and I had about 10 people who gave themselves to do morning prayer every single day for 10 weeks. And it was funny because the ethics board would say, nobody will sign up for this. And I said, well, this is, this is what Anglicans should be doing. So, and yeah, we had a good number. One of the results that I, I found at the end of the study is that 100% of my participants felt a deeper connection with God in their life because of just going through this 15 minute practice of morning prayer in their home every single day. Um, and so I like to tell people, if you are looking to draw closer to God in your life, do morning prayer. By week five, everybody had said, this is an important habit that I will not give up in my life. And I think sometimes what it does is it reminds us that it really, for us, is showing up. I mean, God is always there and it's about showing up. And we often in Sunday school remind the children that it's really about showing up. If we don't show up, then we can't see what God is doing. If we're not paying attention, then we can't realize what he's doing. And I think even the idea of getting up and starting the day, acknowledging that God is present, gives God a chance to speak to us. Well, in the words of the Psalms and even the words of liturgy, one of the things that they do is they help us recognize the language of faith, right? Because sometimes we don't know how to articulate what we want to say. Mm -hmm. And then we open up morning prayer and then we read, oh Lord, make haste to help us. Oh Lord, make speed. To... And we think that's what I want. I want God to speedily and hastily help me. Um, and so it can be a very, very wonderful and enriching way. And then actually a way which unlocks our own voice in prayer. And I think one of the things as, as the word of God is kind of in us because we're saying morning prayer, you say some of the same verses over and over and over and over again, that it becomes part of who you are. 
so that when you're alone and in pain or scared or worried, it comes to you naturally because it's like it's there. It's something to pull out. Um, and I often say to people, there's a, there are seasons in our life. And when there's a season to do morning prayer every day, you're kind of putting money in the bank for the season when you can't. For the season when you need it, but you can't, but it's so in you that you can draw it out. But we also, I think we also recognize, and particularly part of the function of morning prayer um, is we join in an activity of the community. The BCP, the rubrics of the BCP have this wonderful, wonderful line that says in the, in the beginning where it talks about the daily office, that all clergy are to give themselves to the daily office, either at home or in the church, but they're to ring the bell. It says ring the bell. And the reason that they ring the bell is so that those who were kind of off in the field, who weren't able to get to the church, could recognize the prayers are happening um, and in some sense join into that wherever they were. And I think we kind of, we do that a little bit when we do morning prayer. When I sit in my chair at, at home, I am joining in this concert of prayer that is always occurring. And I give, and I lend my voice to that prayer, which is why the daily office uses corporate language and not singular language. Not, oh Lord, open my lips, but oh Lord, open our lips and our mouths will show forth thy praise. So in those times where we are dry, or when all we can do is show up. We can rest in the fact that we are being carried by the prayers of the community. Is the Anglican Church healthy and well in Calgary? How's, as, as a diocese, how's it going? So our diocese is doing well, I think. Our bishop is, is well-loved and providing really, really good leadership in the midst of this time. Um, this obviously is not an easy time to kind of go through. It's an interesting thing to reflect on that prior to this, the big story was, you know, 2040, we're all done by 2040. Last person turn off the lights and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, we're, we're smacked with the reality of not going to church. I have to think that we will arrive through it differently than what we were before, but I think stronger as a community. We talked about that 2040 article, I think in episode three. What's your take on, on where the church will be in 2040 and how, how we navigate transitions through leadership changes? I mean, there seems to be an awful lot of bishops who are retiring or, or, or moving on. So the, the church is going to look quite different even in the next few years. What, what's your take on all that? Well, I think one of the things that we need to recognize is that church has always gone through stuff. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his letters and papers from prison uses the language of mass leveling events. The church has always had to deal with plagues and diseases and wars and rumors of wars and, you know, world war and all this kind of stuff. And so it's nothing new. So I think to say, oh, you know what, you know, no, we're now we're at the end, I think is a little presumptuous. And I think it actually denies the fact that the spirit works and will always produce life. So I'm not worried about 2040. However, I do think that we are called to recognize, does Jesus want every community to be a megachurch? And I think the answer is no. And I think for so often we have 
thought that the true sign of a healthy church is a big church. And I think that 2040 and the pandemic might show, and the call maybe for limited numbers, um, might show that actually where the spirit is most profoundly seen is in these small local mission outposts um, that may never get a whole lot of attention, you know, in turn or popularity, but never pull down thousands upon thousands of people every Sunday, not have big budgets. And yet that is where the spirit is transforming lives. As we talk about spiritual formation and there might be people listening who want to take a step further in their own faith journey. Um, what would you suggest to them would be a, a, a good first start, a good step uh, in that journey? So that's hard because obviously everybody's going to be in a different place. And one of the errors that people who really like spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines do is try to create a package that we think needs to fit everybody. Everybody needs to do Lexio Divina. And if you don't do Lexio Divina, then you're not as, you know, and that's just not the way it is. So this is what I would say. I firmly think that, and I think we see this biblically, that the life of faith is participation in a community. Scripture knows nothing about a spiritual Rambo, somebody who is just by themselves and does it all themselves and never involves anybody else. And so for anybody who is listening, who is wanting to go the, uh, the next step, I think I would ask the question, what would it look like for you to take a next step in community? So that might be find a church. You know, if somebody's listening to this and they don't belong to a church community, that's where I would start. Find a church. Find a church that you can go to and be a part of that community. If they're a part of that community, maybe they've just joined or maybe they're kind of on the fringes and they're not really involved. Well, what would it look like to be a little bit more involved? What would it look like, you know, to take on a ministry or something like that. But, but go deeper in community would be the first place that I would, that I would kind of point someone um, who is wanting to, to grow in faith. Because with growing deeper in community is you're growing deeper in relationships, you're hearing other people's story, you're entering into this awesome but crazy dynamic of prayer that always happens, you know, and it's, um, it's just, a, it's a beautiful time. And Jesus, the only person who could possibly say, I can do this myself, didn't. He involved other people. And so if we want to live like Jesus and we want to grow to be like Jesus, we need to be involved with the community. I mean, obviously, um, Kyle, people are looking for something. All we have to do is, is look at social media, look online. Um, people are looking for the latest way to connect, the latest way to to have meditation. Um, they often are very spiritual, but um, they say they're not religious. How do we do a connect? How do we draw those into a relationship with Jesus? What can the church do? I just came from our Zoom Bible study where we talked about Acts 17 um, and Paul in Athens. So I think it's A, we need to know the resources that we have. And sometimes we don't. You know, so people turn to meditation or something because they assume that the church doesn't have anything to say about meditation. We've been doing that all throughout our history or silence or like, hello, you know, we've had, you know, a huge branch of our theology is about 
you know, what can't be said of God, you know, and, and sitting in silence, in one of our Psalms, right? Um, you know, my, in, in silence, I draw close to you. So I think part of what the church can do is articulate the resources that we have and the history that we, we can own our own stuff. But one of the things that Paul did in Athens was, you know, like he went to the mall and said, you know, I'm seeing all this stuff. I'm seeing that you're spiritual. Um, and what, you know, and you see this altar to an unknown God and what you don't know, I'm going to talk to you about. Um, and it, and it's not a shtick for him, I think. I think he's, he's recognizing the language that they're using. He's recognizing the images that they have and then saying, let me talk to you about how we understand that and, and how God for us is working in the midst of that. And so I think the church, when we hear, you know, when somebody says to me, you know, I'm spiritual, but not religious, I always want to say, so what do you mean by spiritual and what do you mean by religious, right? Or, you know, well, I'm not really into prayer. Or well, what do you mean by prayer, you know? And by spending the time and listening to what that person is saying and what they're not saying, we actually might find that there is an avenue or there is a doorway which we can say, actually what you're searching for, this is what we experience in our community and this is what we experience with Jesus. So let me just talk to you about the Holy Spirit and prayer or, or about what Christian spirituality is actually all about and all that. And so, and I think that's kind of a, something that we can do to, to address those situations and people. One of the questions that we ask all our guests is what have you done during this shutdown or whatever you want to call it that maybe is life-giving or something you haven't been able to do that that you were able to do because you're forced to be isolated and not working the same way as before so one of the things i think has been well to i think to explore my own creativity through writing and through the spiritual practice videos and creating this YouTube. It's been a fun time for me to think about, so I've done my doctorate and now I have, so I have these kind of resources and I have these learnings that I've kind of done for the past couple of years. How can I creatively offer that and work that out? And so engaging in my own creativity has been, has been a very kind of fun process. And when you think about the future, and it might be a year from now, when we actually restrictions are, are lifted, is there something you're looking forward to, something that you've really missed? It has to be the place of the church. I very much enjoy the building here. And so I enjoy sitting in the building and I enjoy being with people, with other Christians in the building. I think one of the things that we need to recognize or that I recognize is as as good as all my online stuff and as good as recording services, it is but a pale imitation to actually being in a building together. And I think sometimes the awesomeness of that I have forgotten because I'm always thinking about, okay, what needs to be done and all this kind of stuff. And so one of the things that I'm going to enjoy once we're back together and it's going to, for us, it's going to take a couple more months, I think, is just 
Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And just delighting in the presence of the community. So thank you so much, Kyle, for joining us. We've really enjoyed hearing all the things you've had to share. No, thank you. This was, this was absolutely amazing. I enjoyed it. I know you've got a website and a YouTube channel, and we'll make sure that we link each of those in the show notes, which if you're listening to this on a podcasting app, you'll find on the app, and otherwise you'll be able to see on the St. George's website. We're looking forward already to the next episode of the podcast where we are interviewing the primate of the Anglican Church of Canada, Archbishop Linda Nichols. It's wonderful to be able to connect across the country in this way. And somebody asked me, coming out of COVID-19, what do you think the church will look like? And I said, well, I feel sometimes as though we're walking in a pea soup fog and we're just beginning to see the outlines of something down the road, but we're not sure what it is, what it will look like. And I think that's going to be one of our challenges is can we allow ourselves to live with ambiguity and uncertainty and trying something and trying something else and be open while we also say what is essential in who we are as Anglicans that we need to carry with us. It's sort of like pioneers entering a new space figuring out how much can you carry on your back with you. That was just a quick taster. We look forward to seeing you next time for the rest of this conversation. Once again, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the St. George's Podcast. We know a number of you listen on Apple Podcasts and it would really help us out if you could click the five-star rating and leave an encouraging comment. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe by clicking the subscribe button. That will mean each time there's a new episode, you will be notified automatically. If you can think of anyone who'd really enjoy hearing this conversation, please do share it with them. And if you're looking for more podcasts, don't forget St. George's have a sermon podcast page and every single one of our talks or sermons are all available on there for you to listen to. We'll see you very soon.